That's what I was before the uh, this morning we got here early to you know to set things up and everything. I was talking with Kelsey Crenshaw. I'm like, hey, thank you. This is Mother's Day. You're coming in early to help do all this work. She just looks at me and goes, this is the most relaxing morning I have had <laughs> in weeks. You know, uh, moms, it's a tough job at all ages, isn't it? At all ages. It's, it's a tough job. So thank you. It is, it is a vital, vital, vital role that women play, you know, that, that role of moms. And as you look at the scriptures, that's one of many important roles that women play. Isn't that true? And if you look through the Bible, women play all kinds of vital roles. Here's a small sampling, a very partial list of just some of the, some of the passages you can go to the scripture and, and see mo- uh, women playing all kinds of roles. You certainly have mom, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, the quintessential mom to the very end. You've got a woman named Martha who's presented as hardworking, hospitable. And it's interesting with her, as much as she gets ripped on, she is a woman who recognizes that Jesus is the Christ. In fact, she recognizes this way before most of the men get it. So there's her. There's also Mary, who is Martha's sister. She is affirmed for sitting at Jesus' feet. And that's an interesting thing because that was the right place for a disciple. So that, that's interesting. Um, we have a woman named Miriam. She's the sister of Moses. She's one of several women who are referred to specifically in the Bible as a prophetess. So you've got that. You also have uh, two women named Joanna and Susanna. They, sounds like a country song. <laughs> but, or a country band or something. But anyway, they, um, these, two, these two, among others, provided for Jesus and his disciples, quote, out of their means. So patrons, I guess, of, of uh, Jesus. You also have Phoebe. She was a patron of Paul, she's referred to with a Greek word, and this is interesting, because that is a Greek word that in the Bible sometimes is translated as servant, but sometimes is translated as what? Deacon. That's interesting. You have a woman named Priscilla. She's referred to as Paul, by Paul, as a fellow worker in Christ Jesus. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul uh, references women who have, quote, labored side by side with me. You have Esther. Many of you are familiar with her. She was a queen. She modeled exemplary courage and tact. She also instructed God's people to fast on her behalf. And then you've got Deborah. And this one's particularly interesting in light of the passage we're going to look at here in just a little bit. Deborah is, it's said of her, quote, the people of Israel came up to her for what? Judgment. She summoned, and listen to this, she summoned and spoke authoritatively to a man whom God had called to lead. And she acted with great faith and courage when a man named Barak exhibited fear and doubt. No political implications there. This is just what the Bible says, all right? We're talking about this person in the Bible, not anything else, all right? Just to make that disclaimer. Okay, so you can go through the scripture. This is a partial list, and you're going to see that women have all kinds of different roles, don't they? They are called, they are gifted to such a wide spectrum of different roles in the scripture. Now, if you haven't already, would you please take out this green insert and take a look at the title of our teaching for today. I like how uh, uh, you said it earlier, Scott said it, uh, you really painted yourself in a corner last week, didn't you? (laughs) With uh, how we left things, um, because we're going to take on a really tough, uh, tough topic today. What's our topic? A woman's place. You know, and, and at first, I mean, I had, I had come up with this, this title months ago, and months ago, here, here's where I thought we were going to go with this. I thought we were just going to look at a number of those different passages and go, look at this. Look at all of the different 
roles that God has placed women in over the ages and whatever God role God has assigned to you, go and do it. Boy, that would have been an easy lesson, wouldn't it? A great affirming deal. Well, at the end of the service, um, uh, at the end of the first service last week, I felt prompted to come up and to say, uh, read a verse that um, is one of the most challenging in all of Scripture, uh, at least in our culture. And we're going to be looking at that today. Um, and and the, the Scripture begs the question, are there certain roles that the Bible says are only for men? And fortunately, we don't hear any yelling yet because they, they have a group that talks about the message during the, while we meet. And so far, I haven't heard any yelling coming out of there, so that's good. And, and the first service, you made it through without anyone standing up and shouting me down. So I'm going to thank you in advance because you're probably going to feel like doing that at different times. Uh, this is a passage that people have incredibly strong, incredibly strong opinions about. My hope is what we can accomplish today is to, to quickly, not completely, we don't have time for that, but to quickly look at both sides of this, why some people believe one way, why some believe another, and then try to see if we can find some, some common ground. So that's what we're going to try to accomplish. Here's the passage. <sighs> Breathe deep. You know what? Let me pray before you read this passage. I'm serious. Let's pray. Father, um, we do. We come to you and we ask that, that your spirit would descend upon us. Um, Father, I pray in advance that um, anything that comes out of my mouth that is not of you, that is, that is reflective of my biases, that shouldn't be there or whatever, but I pray that that would just fall on hard soil. But Father, anything that you want to say and teach, we pray that would take deep root within our lives. We pray that you would enable us to open our minds and our hearts to hear from you to perhaps for the first time listen to the other side of this, this deal, to um, for maybe for the first time be respectful of those who hold a contrary position. But most of all, speak to us. And that which you want to say and do in our lives, when we hear that, give us ears to hear, hearts receive in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. Uh, Laura said I should have wore red today so people throwing tomatoes would, <laughs> wouldn't have to get the stains out. Um, all right, here we go. It says this, First Timothy 2, uh, verses 11 and 12. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. And this is Paul saying this. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. All right. In your, um, oh, you know what? Let me, let me say one thing that I was going to say before we got into this passage. Um, I, let me just tip my hand right away. Um, when it comes to where I believe a, a woman's place is, there's a place to write this in your notes. Please write this down. We'll come back to this passage. As I look at the scripture, I believe a woman's place is wherever God calls her to go. You know, that's where we're going to land, in case you're wondering that. A woman's place is wherever God calls her to go. It is God's prerogative. It is God's prerogative if he wants to say, here are limitations to you as an individual. That's God's prerogative. We may not like it, but that's God's prerogative. If God wants to say to a group of people, these are my limits for you, that's God's prerogative. If God wants to make exceptions, that's God's prerogative. So, Whatever God says, you know, that's, that's, that's what I want to, and certainly believers want to do. They want to say, whatever a woman's place, wherever God calls her to go. So that brings us to this passage um, that, we, that, that we read here from 1 Timothy. Okay, well, in response to that passage that we just read, in response to that passage, some people say, yes, there are certain roles that are reserved only for men. Other people say, no, there aren't. Some people look at that passage that we read earlier and they say, you know what, that, that was contextual. It applied to certain people at a certain time. There are other people that look at that and they say, no, it doesn't. And what's really important with this particular issue is that we don't just label people who disagree with us idiots. 
There are some issues where you can do that. There are some issues when it comes to the Bible. There are. Or ignorant, maybe would be a better word. Um, there are some issues where people hold positions that are ignorant. There are some there are some where the people are just idiots. The 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 the, um, the position they're taking is just a really really bad one to take. What you're going to find about this issue is that you're going to find intelligent, God-seeking, humble, desiring truth, Bible-believing, spirit-filled people on both sides of this one. You're going to find people that, that are trying their absolute best with absolute sincerity to say, I'm not trying to be biased. I want to know what the Bible says on this. They do the best they can. They spend hours and hours and hours studying it, and they arrive at different spots. This is one of those issues where are there ignorant people on both sides of this? Yes. But this is one where really, really be careful because you might get all prideful and say, well, if they just studied it like I studied it, then they would know it obviously means this. This is one where there's probably people who've studied this much more than you with as much sincerity and they've landed on both sides of this one. So again, we won't be able to fully get into all the nuances, but we'll do the best we can to at least give a basic presentation of here's why people believe this, here's why people believe this. Okay, so all that disclaimer said, here's, here's what I think the passage is getting at. There's a place to write this in your notes as well. It seems like what Paul, at least to me, is saying in this passage is he's saying specifically in the context of the assembled church, I guess the better way of me phrasing all this is here's the question that I think is raised by this passage. In the context of the assembled church, does the Bible prohibit women from teaching scripture to men or exercising authority over them? Let me read that again. In the context of the assembled church, does the Bible prohibit women from teaching scripture to men or exercising authority over them? We are going to focus in um, really on 1 Timothy 2, 11-12 today primarily. I don't think that passage is speaking to women's roles outside of the church. It seems like it, it may have something to say about it, but it seems like it is talking very specifically, not about women in government, not about women in business, but specifically women in the church. It seems like that's what it's addressing. At least that's what we're going to address today. It also isn't saying, should women ever be able to teach? The Bible in different places has women teaching. It doesn't say, should women ever prophesy? We've got examples of women prophesying. It doesn't say should women never lead. We have examples of women leading. I think this passage is very specifically, at least where we're going to go with it, specifically answering this question here. In the context of the assembled church, when men and women are both present, does the Bible prohibit women from teaching scripture to men or exercising over them? There are some that would say, yes, it does. And so let's, let's go there. Um, please write this down. And so far, so good, everybody. I, I, I'm not getting a lot of this kind of stuff yet. All right. Um, there are some people who believe that 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 12, pro, those prohibitions should be universally applied. What I mean by that is there's some that said what it meant then is what it means now. What it said you couldn't do then, you shouldn't do now. There are people who, who hold that position when it comes to this particular passage. Now, what's interesting about that is that almost all of these same people would say um, there are some things that are contextual in the Bible. In fact, pretty much everybody in this room, I'm going to guess everybody in this room, picks and chooses from the Bible what they think applied then and what applies now. Let me give you an example. How many of you have ever worn a piece of clothing made of more than one type of material? Raise your hand. Okay. You know the Old Testament says don't do that, right? 
If you didn't, some people are going, yes, new clothing, 100% cotton, let's go shopping because I want to be biblical. No, it's not, you know, but m- almost everybody who knows that, they, we ignore it. We ignore it. Um, and there's a, a, another passage in the New Testament. Take a look at this one. This is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 4 through 5. It says this, Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Okay? Those of you who are married, how many of you have ever prayed without a hat? Okay. Sinners. All y'all. Yeah. Now, and, and again, let me, let, me, let me explain where I'm going with this and why I'm putting it on this side of the debate. Because you could, it would be hard in this, in this area, it would be hard to find a church where people still believe that every woman should bring her bonnet and every time you pray, get the bonnet on. You would, it would be hard to find people who still think that applies. But there are some people who say, in fact, it would be very easy to find a church very close here where they believe, okay, but this one, the first Timothy, this still applies. You know, we understand that argument. We understand the cultural argument. And what we're telling you is, this wasn't cultural. Does it, does it make sense what I'm trying to say there? You, you can easily find those churches. You can find lots of them. You can find lots of them. Many of you are brought up in them. Where they say, we get it. We get it that some things are cultural. We agree with that. This is not one of those. There are people who would say that. Here's a very brief summary of some of the reasons why some folks hold that. I shouldn't say some. Many Christians hold that. Um, why they say 1 Timothy 2, 2, uh, 12 should be universally applied. There's this. Paul appears to reference his apostolic authority in a verse leading up to the one we read, where it appears as though he's saying, hey, as an apostle, I'm talking to you, Timothy, from an authoritative position, and I'm telling you some stuff about the church. Other people would say, or they would continue on, they would say that Paul also, in this particular case, he uses a Greek word which really means exercise authority. He doesn't talk about abusing authority. Why that's important We'll come to this a little bit later, but why, why that's important is that a number of people who use the contextual argument, they say, um, well, back in Ephesus, women were trying to be superior to men. And so what Paul was saying is, hey, no, 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 let's keep things equal. Don't be over men, let's keep things equal. The argument that some people would say would be, then why didn't Paul say that? Why didn't he say, don't abuse authority? You know, so that would be what they might go where they might go. All right, also another argument for why this still applies. They said, well, here's the deal. Paul doesn't say, okay, in this context, in this context, women just just be quiet. In this context. As he continues on his argument, he goes to creation. He says, man was created first and, and continues on there. So all this to say, a lot of people look at this and they go, it appears to mean today what it meant then. And what they would build on then is they would say here, they'd say, look at in other teaching, other passages, Paul appears to reinforce this teaching. Let's take a look at this, 1 Corinthians 14. Here's another example that they might say this also supports this position. When you come together as Christians, let all things be done for what? Building up. Remember that. Remember that. Because we're going to come back to that idea too. When you come together, let all things be done for building up. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh in what is said. As in all the churches of the saints, women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. 
If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak at church. What, what those who would support the universality, if that's a word, of um, 1 Timothy 2.12 might say, is they'd say, here's another example that says pretty much the same thing. You have men prophesying, and the women are said, don't undermine their authority. Don't undermine the authority of these men who are prophesying. So um, here is, a, again, a very, 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 very brief overview of some of the reasons why people say, hey, this teaching says what it says, and what it said then applies still today. Now, obviously, there are those who, who disagree with this teaching. And so here, there's a place in your notes to write this down, too. While some believe we should universally apply 1 Timothy 2, 11-12, some believe the trajectory of Scripture teaches a contextual application. Trajectory, we'll get to that in a minute. But, but first, let me talk to the contextual. There are some who would say, this is another one of those examples of a passage where it doesn't apply today like it applied back then. Um, uh, you can't get around the fact that 1 Timothy 2.12 says what it says. But what some people would say is, what was, you know, what was the context? And one of the reasons I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about what was the specific context for the Ephesian women is because sources disagree, and sources that I respect disagree. In fact, this has probably happened to you if you've gone into this discussion with some folks. You probably come across people that said, again, I touched on this earlier, that the women in Ephesus, everyone knows the women in Ephesus um, were, uh, were influenced by thinking that put them superior to men, and they were trying to dominate the men. So the fact that Paul said, don't be over men, is just saying, you know, don't be over them. You, you can be equal with them. The problem with that is there's other sources that say, no, that wasn't the case. So depending on who you listen to about history, it's hard to know where to lean. So that was one of the things about Ephesus. The other thing is about Ephesus is they said, well, everyone knows that in Ephesus, the women you know, weren't educated and, and, so, and they were in, easily influenced. And so Paul is saying, hey, don't teach because you don't know nothing. <laughs> and, uh, and then there's others who say, no, it wasn't that simple. And not only that, the men in Ephesus were teaching false doctrine. So... If that was the argument. So do you see, you could, you could spend all your time saying, well, here's what it was like, here's what it was like, here's what it was like, here's what it was like. And that's why we're not going to spend time doing that because it seems like people disagree. Credible sources seem to disagree. So what I'm instead of wanting to focus on is this phrase, trajectory of Scripture. This is a phrase that I first heard the, the covenant denomination were part of use. It's a really interesting concept. What they're basically talking with trajectory of Scripture is what does the overall message of the Bible seem to say? That anytime we're going to look at a particular passage, we have to put it in the bigger context, not just of a paragraph or a letter or a, or a book, but in the bigger context of the whole of Scripture. You guys know what trajectory is with bullets, right? If you've ever seen like a CSI show, the trajectory is, you know, you start here and here's where the thing's going to end up if it follows this, this pathway. Well, there are those who say this is one way to help understand Scripture. And a great example of that is, is slavery. There are those who um, have used the Bible to support slavery. And they look at the Bible, they find a verse that seems to support it, and they say, look at that. The Bible supports slavery. But does the trajectory of Scripture support slavery? No. The trajectory of Scripture is towards liberation. The, the trajectory of Scripture is towards freedom. The, the, the trajectory of Scripture is seeing people as brothers and sisters. The trajectory of Scripture is let's serve rather than be served. 
And so while Paul never came out, Paul is the person who wrote 1 Timothy, while Paul never came out and said, thou shalt not ever own a slave, Paul's words undermined the institution of slavery. Take a look at what he said. This is a specific passage coming from a book in which a slave is coming back to his master. And look what Paul masterfully says about that. He says, for perhaps this is why your slave was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a what? A beloved brother. If you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If somebody, a slave owner, if a slave owner internalized that message, could that slave owner continue to be a slave owner? No. There are some that would say the trajectory with women is extremely similar to that. Where if you apply this teaching of Scripture, if you apply that fully, if you internalize it, if you understand it, if you look at what Jesus was saying, if you looked at, at, uh, at everything, all the context, you would, you would say that God calls and he gifts, you know, in, in, in ways that, um, that were usually applied to men. Um, when you, again, when you look at the context of Scripture and you look, at, uh, you look at, at how radical it was, you begin to see this contrast more clearly. Um, in the world in which uh, the New Testament was written, it was not uncommon for a female Greco-Roman baby to be abandoned to die. In the world where the New Testament was written, uh, a good Greco-Roman host would provide female slaves and prostitutes for his male friends. In a world where, this is a world where Aristotle, listen to this, Aristotle considered women to be defective males who lacked wisdom, rationality, and self-control. He didn't tell me that in my freshman English class or whatever. Um, in a world where, this was a world where the birth of a Jewish daughter could be considered a disappointment. This is a world where the testimony of a Jewish woman didn't hold up in court. This is a world where both the Romans and the Jews wanted to keep women in the private world, and it was men that got to dominate the public world. So into this world, the things that, the, that we see in the scriptures are shocking. They're absolutely shocking. It was scandalous for women to travel with a rabbi. Women were held up in the Bible as examples of great courage and wisdom and faith. Women are called upon in the scripture to be the last at the cross, the first witnesses of the resurrection. The spirit of God we read in the scriptures is poured out upon both men and women, and they are both empowered by God to teach, to prophesy, and lead. And what happens is, um, with our eyes, our 21st century eyes, we often look at these passages and, and we look at them and we say, boy, this is so old-fashioned, this is so sexist. But if we were to look at them with first century eyes, we would see, wow, God is shattering. He's shattering the way, the, the roles that are held exclusively for men. Here's an example of that, and it comes from that passage you read earlier, a passage that is, that is often labeled as completely sexist. Look at the first four words of 1 Timothy 2.11. In fact, please read them out loud with me. Let a woman learn. 
Did someone just say, wow? That's a wow. Let a woman learn. That would have been shocking to a lot of folks. Um, one of my sources can say it a lot better than I can. Here's, here's, here's how one of the sources um, that I was looking at this week commented on, on those four words. They say the, the proper way for any novice to learn was submissively and quietly. In fact, a closely related Greek term appears in 1 Corinthians 2, or, or yeah, in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, for all believers. Women were less likely to be literate than men. They were, they were trained in philosophy far less often than men. They were trained in rhetoric almost never. And in Judaism, they were far less likely to be educated in the law. Given the bias against instructing women in the law, it is Paul's advocacy of their learning the law, not his recognition that they started as novices and so had to learn quietly that was radical and countercultural. You know, it's so easy. We, we read things with our eyes instead of the way, um, the way that, that many of these people would have seen things. Paul never came out and said, Paul never came out and said, and this is significant, Paul never came out and said, one day women will be called to teach and lead in churches. Paul never said that. But here's an example of something Paul did say. This is out of his letter to the Galatians. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now, just like every passage we brought up, there's point, counterpoint, point, counterpoint, point, counterpoint. But can you at least see why there are some people, they look at the trajectory of Scripture, and they say it appears to be one where positions typically held by men, God is calling and gifting women into those positions. Which, which is why, when I look at this trajectory of Scripture, if, let's say, Beth Moore, she's an exceptional woman teacher. How many are familiar with at least some of her stuff? Okay. Is she a good teacher? She's a good teacher. Let's just say Beth Moore was in town and wanted to teach at her church on a Sunday morning. I would gladly step down. You even more gladly would have me step down. <laughs> and... and, and and I would sit and I would be taking notes because God has gifted that woman to teach. She's gifted that woman to teach. And, and what, as a church, we would be well uh, served to receive that, that gift. I think about the ability to lead. God has gifted many women with the ability to lead. And I can't imagine where a church would be without them. You know, I think of, of Rhonda Mermel. Rhonda, Rhonda. Her team, her welcome team, has a lot of men on it. She leads that team exceptionally well. I think about our ECC kids team. Um, my wife, Laura, uh, Natalie Schmidt, Christina Freeman. There's, there's a number of women who are providing leadership in that area. And you guys are leading exceptionally well. <laughs> quick, quick story, related story. Uh, this week... For some reason, I was, I was having this conversation with my, my seven-year-old. Um, she, she just started asking randomly. She said, what year, what, are, what year are we as a church? And we didn't know what in the world she was talking about. But what she was referring to is we've celebrated different birthdays along the line, along the way. And she goes, like, what do you call our twos again? I said, oh, those were the terrific twos. She goes, what do you call our threes? I said, oh, they were the something threes, driving threes or something like that. 
And she goes, what about the fours? And Laura speaks up. She goes, because this is the year we've been in. She goes, this has been a funky four. She says, this has been the funky fours. And I cringe to think where we'd be as a church were it not for our women elders. You know, Becky Ressler and uh, Deb Anderson. I, I cringe to think the decisions we would have made without them in the mix during our funky fours. And, and what I see happening here is, is Paul says, Paul says he, the gifts are given by God to build the church. And if you see situations where the church is not being built by somebody's gifts, then that's cause for concern. If, if you see situations where the church is being slandered unfairly because gifts are being misused, that's cause for concern. But when you can clearly see God gifting people, and when you can clearly see these gifts being used to build the church, you know, that, that's something that, that I take notice of. But even as I do, here are two important cautions, two, two very, very important cautions. I encourage you to write each of these down. Um, here's, here's the first caution that I would encourage us to, to write down. And that is this. Scriptures that don't fit our pre-existing paradigms should never be minimized. Let me say that again. Scriptures that don't fit our pre-existing paradigms should never be minimized. What I mean by that is, don't play the culture card too quick. Don't play the culture card too quick. The Bible says all kinds of things that we wish it didn't. The Bible says all kinds of things that don't fit our cultural paradigms. And what can start to happen as soon as you start to play that culture card, you can go, oh, this is just cultural. What the Bible says about sexuality, oh, must have been cultural. What the Bible says about how I spend God's money, oh, it must have been cultural. What the Bible says about women, must have been cultural. We have to be so careful playing that culture card. And instead, really look to the scriptures. And if it says what it says, do it, unless there's compelling reason, scripturally, to do otherwise. So that's one of my cautions. Very important. Just be careful. We're playing the culture card here and also the trajectory of scripture card. We have to be very careful to pl- to pl- um, when we play that. Secondly, here's another warning slash caution, and this is just as huge. Faithful stewardship of God's gifts requires humility and tact. Let me say that again. Faithful stewardship of God's gifts requires humility and tact. Um, as, as a pastor who so much of my life is leadership and teaching in the church, I see this abused all the time. I, I see um, too many examples where people feel as though I've got a leadership gift, I've got a teaching gift, where's the church that's going to take me? Because I'm entitled to a church that's going to take me. They wouldn't say those words, but I see that happening. And instead of a gifting that is used to build the church, we have this, this thing that is dividing us as God's people. In part because people are pushing, pushing, pushing. And, and I, I look at First Timothy and I look at First Corinthians and I see so much of those letters is spent on humility and tact. So much of those letters is invested in us being wise stewards and us really being smart in how we live out our faith in a way where we're not going to be slandered by those outside the church and in ways that are going to build up our, our churches. 
the, the behaviors where you feel entitled, where you engage in self-promotion, or in condescending confrontation. You know, there's a lot of people who've studied this verse, and as a result of studying the verses, they, 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 they just, they, you, you try to get in a discussion with them, and, and they pull up the idiot card, right? Well, obviously, you haven't studied this, or obviously, your bias is blah, blah, blah. You know, that condescending confrontation, does that behavior help? It doesn't. It, it, it doesn't. And, and, and we see those kind of things in, in, you know, coming up all the time. If your giftedness is truly God-given, then God wants your gifts to be used to build his church more than you do. Let me say that again. If your giftedness is truly God-given, whether you're a man or a woman, then God wants your gifts to be used to build his church even more than you do. And so, in first Corinth, First century Corinth, in first century Ephesus, Paul said, women, you know, these are my words. Paul could have been saying, this is totally my words, Paul could have been saying, women, you may be called and gifted to teach. Right here, right now, you're going to be better off just demonstrating quiet competency. Let them see it. Let them see it. Rather than try to force it on them. You force things on people, you don't change a mind, you don't change a heart. You build up resistance, you build up re- re- defensiveness, right? You start demonstrating quiet competency, that's a totally different thing. You can start to change hearts, you can start to change minds. And it could be very well the case today that sometimes the best things to do are to be quiet and submissive, whether you're a woman or a man. When we go to Haiti and we go to their church service for the first time, we don't come in saying, I have freedom in Christ, I'm going to wear my... Shorts because God doesn't care what's on the outside. He may very well care what's on the outside in that situation. Because you might be defaming him, you know, in a particular situation. Does that make sense? A gifted woman teacher, there might be times she should come in in, in, in submissiveness. There, submissiveness. There might be times where it's best for, for those who hold strong opinions otherwise to just, you be quiet and you learn in submissiveness. So, First Timothy you know, 2.12, it's, it still applies in different contexts. Contexts die. Contexts. Contexties. I'm getting off that real quick. All right. But, but ultimately, again, can we put up those last two passages on the screen here? This is what Paul is trying to get across. He, he, in this, this passage, this 1 Corinthians passage, same letter we've been looking at. This passage comes at the tail end of the longest explanation on spiritual gifts in the entire Bible. He says, strive to build up the church. If you've been gifted, strive to build up the church. Not divide it, not, 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 not assert your own whatever. And then he also says this in 1 Timothy, the other passage you're looking at. He goes, give the adversary no occasion to slander. As much as it's up to you, don't do things that are going to cause others to look at us and say, those people those people, those rude, arrogant, or whatever folks. So it's on that note that I'm going to invite the worship band to come back up because we're going to close with a song that I think gives you an opportunity to respond to this. It's one of my favorites, Glory to God Forever. And there's this, this, this line in the, the song where you say, take my life and let it be all for you and for your glory. Isn't that ultimately what we're supposed to do with our gifts? Ultimately, that's what we should do with any gift you have, man or women, regardless of the gift. To just say, God, here it is for you. And help me not to be about self-promotion. Help me not to be about entitlement. Help me not to be about any of those things other than I want to serve you, God. 
and whatever gifts you give me, let me use them for you. Wherever you call me, whether it's in a conventional way or a non-conventional way, help me to do so with humility and tact rather than some kind of getting the spotlight on me or, or whatever. So let's, let's do that. Those of you who, who are believers, let's use this song to dedicate ourselves to those purposes. All right, let's pray. Father, we now ask that you would do that. We, we pray that you would help us um, to dedicate ourselves to, to, um, to fully surrendering to you. And Lord, I pray that as a church we'd be that. We'd be a church with humility and tact. Father, and again, it's dangerous to pray for, pray for humility. <laughs> But we pray for it anyway. Um, and, and we ask, Father, that you'd help us to be a place where we can really listen to one another, and respond to one another, and, and, and not try to push agendas or any of that kind of stuff, but, but rather with humility and tact, we seek with all our hearts what you would have for us. So may we dedicate ourselves to you during this time. May this song come deeply from our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand as we close with the song? better off as Christians if we just did more of this instead of you should believe this and you should believe this and point and point, 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 and you should let me do this. Why don't we just take my life and let it be all for you and for your glory? If we prayed that more consistently, lived that more consistently, oh, God would do amazing things he has in the past with people who commit to that end. So let's pray as we go forward. Father, uh, thank you. We pray that you would bless us in that way. We pray that you keep our focus where it should be on taking our life and letting it be all for you and for your glory. Lord, you pour out your gifts, you pour out um, your purposes, you extend callings that are general and callings that are specific, and, and you do your thing. And Lord, I pray that you would bless us in that we could see more and more what your thing is for us, and we could respond to that without, without resistance, but rather with submission, we could come in line with what your plans and purposes are for us, so that we may be blessed and that we may be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, give these guys a great day as they go forth in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next week.